This is WJR's Business Biography. Now here's your host, Jeff Sloan. Welcome. A true crown jewel when it comes to Michigan business success stories. This business, it's Boyne Resorts. The Michigan family-owned business started 75 years ago and now which has grown to become the third largest mountain resort company in North America. Headquartered in Northern Michigan, Boyne Resorts owns and operates 12 mountain and lakeside resorts, ski areas, attractions, and a retail division in locations spanning from British Columbia in the west to Maine in the east, including Boyne Mountain, the Inn at Bay Harbor, and the Highlands located right here in the state of Michigan. Boyne Resorts was founded in 1948 by Everett Kircher when the company acquired its first property for a dollar along with a used chairlift system from the Sun Valley Resort out west. That property, now Boyne Mountain Ski Resort. The company now generates over $500 million in annual revenue and employs a team of around 12,000 throughout the year to make it all go. Our guest today to tell the story of Boyne Resorts, Everett's son, Stephen Kircher, now president and CEO. Stephen, welcome to kick things off for us today. Tell us about the company that so proudly remains in the Kircher family's ownership and control ever since it was founded by your father, Everett. Well, Boyne Resorts is a uh, resort company, four-season resort company. We have a lot of ski in our portfolio, and, and we've certainly got four-season resorts that have golf and conferences and summer activities. We're coast-to-coast from Maine to British Columbia, and we're now entering our 75th year, and we've been on this journey to create a a great company. We're a company of resorts, not a resort company, I think is also the way we look at ourselves, and each place has its individual personality, its DNA, if you will, and we really try to nurture the local experience that people have with those resorts and bring them along to be the best they can be within the framework of what they have, uh, the, you know, the assets, the community, the terrain that make them unique. And uh, we really try to nurture that. I can tell you that from my own experience, my own family's experience now going on our third generation as lovers of the Highlands, previously Boeing Highlands up in the Harbor Springs area. It's a ski resort for those who don't know, but for the many who do and enjoy it, it's really unique, distinct, charming, has great character, both in style and in the experience that one gets by being there. And so I see when you say you want to make sure you optimize every resort's natural ingredients and kind of organic sweetness, if you will, you do that so well. Give us an overview of the various resorts in the portfolio and give us a little color of each one of the different resorts. You bet. And I'd like to come back to the Highlands because there's a story there, why the Highlands, and it ties right to this very topic. So we're heavily involved in the eastern U.S. in New England. We've got uh, three resorts in Maine, Sugarloaf, Sunday River, and now Pleasant Mountain, which is another example of us being very dialed into the local history of that place. It's actually the oldest ski resort we have in the portfolio, that and Brighton are neck and neck from the 30s. And then we have uh, Loon Mountain in New Hampshire, which is just right up 93 out of Boston. It's it's kind of the place that Boston skis. And then we move to the Midwest, which we've got the Highlands, Bay Harbor complex, at least the, the inn and the golf complexes around it, Crooked Tree and the Bay Harbor Golf Club. And then where it all started, Boyne Mountain. And in the 70s, we had moved west. Dad had a long love affair with the west, Sun Valley, etc. And he wanted to move west and in the 70s, saw the kind of the writing on the wall and, and we bought uh, Big Sky Resort, which was a new resort at the time. And 
So Big Sky is kind of our anchor, the biggest uh, resort we have from a revenue and, and overall footprint perspective. And then Brighton in Utah, which is uh, where Utah learns to ski and snowboard. It's uh, the second biggest ski resort actually in Utah now by skier visits, which is something just happened this year. And then we've got the West Coast operations with Summit Snoqualmie, which is a large ski resort in the Seattle market. And then we are in the Vancouver market with Cypress Mountain, which hosted many of the uh, 2010 games back uh, when the Olympics were held there. So coming back to the Highlands, the name means something. And most of the Highlands customers, Boyne Highlands customers, called it the Highlands. At least more than half of the customers would call it, I'm going to the Highlands versus the mountain. And to the extent that, you know, the Boyne brand is really around, obviously the mothership is called Boyne Resorts, but we don't really market the company. It's all about, you know, the resorts, not the resort company. And we felt that there was just so much conflict and confusion between Boyne Mountain, the mountain, and Boyne Highlands, and people would conflate the two. And you know, architecturally, they're different. They've got different customer bases. They've got different histories. They've got different locales. But there was a blurring of those experiences, a blurring of the brands. And even people would say Bavarian architecture for both places. Well, that's dead wrong. The mountain is Swiss-Austrian, and the Highlands is actually all about English country estate. It has nothing to do with Bavaria. So you know that conflation that would occur in people's minds, we finally said, look, it, it's just time to we're taking the Highlands to an elevated experience. We're transforming it back to the Grand Dam of the Midwest Ski Resorts or Four Season Resorts, which is what it was back when it was opened in the 60s, and taking it back to its roots, kind of full circle, and elevating the experience. We had the first bubble chair, the first triple chair in the world at the Highlands back in 1963, 64, and it lasted about a year and a half, two years. There's a story behind that, but Bubble chairs then went away, and then they came back in a bigger way, say 20, 30, 40 years later. Incredibly elegant, high-tech customer experience and comfort experience with the new D-Line uh, six-place chair we're putting in, which is going to be called the Camelot 6. and has heated seats and, and bubbles, so we're bringing the bubble back and bringing something that no one's ever seen in the Midwest and, and really, again, elevating the ski experience back to its proper stature, I guess, if you will, for the Highlands. Yeah, it's really great. I saw the work in progress. This is an impressive project. No doubt it will elevate the experience at the Highlands. For those who don't know, tell us what a bubble chair is. Well, there's chairlifts that, and, and those who have skied at Big Sky and some of our New England resorts are seeing this popping up elsewhere. But they've been in Europe for a number of years, and we felt it was a better way to ski. When it's cold out, you bring the bubble down, and it, it stops the wind and uh, keeps you warm and the heated seats keep you warm you actually get warmer going up than you get coming down so it allows you to ski in five degree weather 10 degree weather and in high winds that you wouldn't otherwise be able to enjoy and for young folks you know an eight-year-old who's out there freezing to death they take one run they got to go get hot chocolate every run so this will transform the experience the highlands is a big mountain for the midwest the lifts are long and invariably, you got really cold. And in the Midwest, with 50% humidity and, you know, at, at 20 degrees even, it can be a very cold experience. This completely changes that. Even when the bubble's up, it blocks the wind because it kind of creates a little bit of a cocoon. So people will see an incredibly different experience and be able to stay out all day on a cold day. When the snow's the best, you want to be out there. And uh, this thing will completely change the south half of the mountain, that along with the other high-speed 
the Heather Express, it's going to be like no other experience in the Midwest. Even Boyne Mountain, who's got down to uh, high speeds, I think will not have this level of experience with the bubble and the heated seats. No resting on laurels, clearly, under Stephen Kircher's watch. Lots going on to improve and enhance the experiences offered at the various Boyne Resort properties. When we come back, we'll learn more about the company's founder, Everett Kircher, the current leader, Stephen Kircher, and the Kircher family more broadly. Headed to a quick break. Stick with us right here on Business Biography. Welcome back to WJR's Business Biography with your host, Jeff Slow. Welcome back. Today we're featuring the story of the family-owned business known as Boyne Resorts. Joining us today is the current president and CEO of Boyne Resorts, Stephen Kircher. Stephen, Boyne Resorts is a family-owned business. It's a great story of entrepreneurial success. It's a great Michigan story, but it's a broader story as well. It's a story of how a business, a business like that, which your family owns, and how that business can impact the quality of life here in the state of Michigan for those of us who live and work here, and then how that business beyond that, can impact the state's economy as well, especially in the recreational and tourism sector that is so significant here for our state's economic engine. Correct. We're 75 years old right now where we're building the first chairlift at Boyne Mountain 75 years ago. So it's it's a long journey we've been on to get to this point. Tourism obviously comes in different forms, and and we certainly lean in on winter tourism in most of the resorts that we're involved in, and and certainly in the Midwest, we're more balanced with all the golf and other summer activities we have, but it drives our local economy. It's part of the lifestyle of the state of Michigan. We look at ourselves as a contributor to the quality of life that we have here and and getting people out in the wintertime in particular, and, and certainly in the golf courses in the summer, and experiencing what this great state has to offer. We're one of the pieces of the puzzle that make this a great tourism state. And uh, Michigan has, I think, the second or third most number of ski resorts in the U.S. We have about 2.8 million skier visits, I believe, which is you know, a significant number of folks participate in that winter sport in the state of Michigan. And it's a healthy activity right now. I mean, people are getting out. Certainly COVID stimulated a lot of people trying it again and getting back into it. And uh, skiing has been very resilient coming out of COVID and getting families together. It is without a doubt the best family activity you can do generationally. You know, get going. It's the one place you can have an experience, although this new lift will shorten that experience by one third, but your son or daughter getting their cell phone out and going on social media. And you get time with your kids, time, you know, with your grandkids time with your spouse, time with your friends in a way that I think is pretty unique. And everybody gets to have their own fun at their own speed and talent level, but they come back together on the lifts and, and engage in, you know, apres ski experiences and meals together. And it's a communal experience. Lifestyle of skiing is pretty special. It certainly is a niche, but those who participate in it and are involved are usually much healthier lifelong people. You know, they're active folks that enjoy the outdoors and become I think, more engaged with nature too. So it's a really important piece of the puzzle, I think, for mental health and physical health. You know, I have to tell you, I'll share with you that you mentioned that it's a great family time and a great opportunity to bond. When we were up at the Highlands over the, this past winter, 
it was remarkable to me how I had an opportunity. I sat with my son who's going on 15, who I've lost to social media and his friends now as he approaches high school and all the rest. That's like all the other kids, you know, they get engaged in other things. They, their parents are not cool anymore. And it's not, they don't necessarily go to their parents as a first opportunity to talk about something. And I've really noticed in my relationship with my son, who I'm very, very close with, my oldest son, that we kind of lost touch with each other. And then at the Highlands, skiing together and then sitting on the chairlift together, where it was just the two of us and the wind, the sound of the wind, what little that might have been, and the sound of skiers down below, we had a chance to talk. And it was so remarkable to me how beautiful that was. So there you go. You ever wonder about the power of skiing? It goes on and on and on. Everyone's got their own story. But Stephen, it really is a special thing. And, and I can't tell you how thankful we are to have you and your resorts here in the state of Michigan, for those of us who live and work here, to be able to enjoy. It really, I mean, yeah, I, I've got a 23, 21, 16, and 7-year-old. And it is, by the golf, is starting to do the same thing with the teenagers now, which is interesting. You know, you're, you're on the golf cart together, you're talking, you're doing something. It's that kind of activity, communal activity, that creates these bonds. There's so many ski experiences Hiking with my son Everett at Big Sky, I remember him taking me. He skied this ridge that's got triple black diamonds off. And, and, you know, he was so excited to bring dad up and scare the hell out of me. You know, it is truly, it's the bonding that people who ski, skiing families, I think are closer because of it. And it is an opportunity to reconnect when you do drift away, when you've got all that, as you said, the social media, et cetera, the friends. Stephen, let's talk about the history of the company and kind of the history of your family, the roots of everything. First, tell us the roots of your family in northern Michigan. This would be your father. He was 49 when I was born. So, yeah. So the history of us in this business, it started off with dad as a falling in love with a snowflake as a teenager. And he uh, learned about skiing in the 30s. And he uh, put together a, a little rope tow, which we have actually in the Eagle's Nest at the top of Boyne Mountain, is that rope tow that he put together when he was a late teen. And he put that up on a small hill in, in Metamora with some ski buddies. They tied it to a tree and a Ford truck and actually lit up the slope with the lights of the truck and had the first night skiing in the world, actually, we believe, in the early 1930s. And he fell in love with it and heard about this place being built by uh, Union Pacific, Sun Valley. He went on a train out to Sun Valley the first year it opened, and he was you know, not a good skier, but he had done some skiing on this rope tow and fell in love with it even more. He rode up the chairlift that we ended up bringing back to Boyne Mountain a decade or so later behind Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby's whistling and humming one of his tunes, or single chairs, by the way. So he's behind Bing Crosby, listening to Bing Crosby doing his stuff. And he just completely fell in love with the idea of skiing and what it represented and the lifestyle. And so late 30s, he's going out there every year for about four to six weeks. His father had come to Detroit for the $5 a day jobs with Ford, and then opened up a garage to fix the Ford cars that he formerly built, like most people did, that came to Detroit at that time. And, and uh, dad worked there. And ultimately, my grandmother had an accident the summer when he was a freshman at University of Michigan. Dad went to U of M for one year, and grandma uh, had a, a very 
challenging accident. Uh, she got run over by a trailer. My grandpa was backing it up and she fell down and, and it went over her legs and broke all of her legs. And uh, she drove back from Colorado with all her bones in her leg broken and uh, was like six months of rehabilitation. And dad didn't go back to U of M and, and worked in the family business and never went back to school. And then the war happened and they started building parts for gyros on bombs and stuff at their garage. And he became really good at working with metal and then did some skiing at Otsego, which is in you know the Gaylord area at the time. So he kept active there and then started going back to Sun Valley after the war in a big way again and, and really fell in love with it. And when he come back to Michigan, he's like, you know, we, we need to have a better ski experience. So he and a couple ski buddies canvassed northern Michigan for the best ski hill they could find. And, and they located what is now Boyne Mountain. And they talked to the owner. Senator Pearson was the gentleman who owned it and uh, talked him into leasing it to him first for a year and then sold it to him for a dollar. And uh, dad heard that Sun Valley was getting rid of those original chairlifts. And so brought back on a train and on flatbed trucks, the uh, original chairlift in the world to Boyne Mountain, which was a single chair at the time. Then it was converted to a double and it's been updated many times. But the top and bottom terminal are of the original chairlift brought back from Sun Valley and the first chairlift in the world still operating. So it's a pretty special piece of history from a skiing perspective. He obviously was a kind of a pioneering, enterprising kind of guy. He had that kind of spirit, right? I mean, he wasn't the kind of guy that came home from work and grabbed a beer and sat down on the couch. Oh, he loved the outdoors. Fishing in northern Michigan was his love. Coming up north to fish in the summertime and then skiing in the winter. And he wanted a better place to ski. And that's what drove he and his ski buddies. So grandpa had the garage and then they joint ventured on a uh, Studebaker dealership. So dad was in the car sales mode, you know, post-war and, and made good money coming out of the war. And grandpa was doing well. And grandpa actually loaned dad the money and the two other gentlemen 15000 to start Boyne Mountain. So they got the land for a dollar and $15,000 to build the lodge and get the uh, $4,000 lift they bought from Sun Valley rebuilt, clear the runs, and start it 75 years ago this summer. It was going on. So it's a pretty amazing point in time you know, to look back on. And we're building 16 lifts, both surface and, and uh, chairlifts, this summer. So we've talked about internally just how much we're doing. It's probably as big a deal for us right now as it was for Dad that summer when they're building the first chairlift for Boyne Mountain. Going from one property to 12 today, Boyne Resorts has clearly grown into a much bigger company, now the third largest mountain resort company in North America. With the current upgrades and improvements and overall momentum in realizing the current company vision and growth trajectory, Boyne Resorts is clearly a company in motion. A company in motion moving in the right direction under current president and CEO, Stephen Kircher. And how fortunate are we, those Michiganders and beyond, that get to enjoy properties like Boyne Mountain, the Inn at Bay Harbor, and the Highlands in both summer and winter. We've got more of today's story, the story of Boyne Resorts, when we come back right here on Business Biography. Welcome back to WJR's Business Biography with your host, Jeff Sloan. Welcome back. How do you create a business, now a big business, with 75 years of operations under its belt from a passion? Well, it happens, and it certainly happened with Everett Kircher's love of the outdoors, in particular, his love of skiing. That passion led him to create the family-owned Boyne Resorts Company based in northern Michigan. 
Picking up on our story today, Everett Kircher's son, Stephen Kircher, now president and CEO of Boyne Resorts. Stephen, when you think of your father as an entrepreneur, he kind of backed into entrepreneurship as a byproduct of his passion rather than, say, setting out to become an entrepreneur and trying to figure out then what business opportunity he could pursue in order to become a successful businessman. His passion came first, and the fact that it became a business was just sort of a byproduct of that passion. Would you say that's right? He was a passionate lover of outdoor sports. It was a hobby up until about 1953-54. So he was operating for about four or five years before it became a real business. And it became a real business when he bought out his partners. Mr. Maples down in, in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, had contacted him. And my grandfather went down and looked at this opportunity to put a chairlift in in the Great Smoky Mountains. And uh, Grandpa came back and said, Everett, you got to do this. And Dad said, I don't want to do this. He goes, no, no. You're doing this. I'm sick of funding your hobbies because this thing will make money, unlike your dream up north. So you're going to do this. And so Grandpa basically forced my father into doing the best thing he ever did, which was build this chairlift in Tennessee, which became an instant success cash flow wise and help support the summer operations and the summer you know, cash burn that happens in the ski business. And we survived we're the longest running ski company in the world because of grandpa forcing my father to do this thing in Tennessee. So we became a real company. Dad bought us partners and uh, ultimately in the 60s, the Highlands was built and dad had this desire to go west and he wanted to buy Sun Valley. At one point, we looked at Telluride, we passed on it. We looked at Jackson Hole, we passed on it. But Ed Homer from uh, Chrysler Realty, who was part of the Chrysler Corp came to dad, he was a point skier, and said, uh, we're selling this resort called Big Sky. Would you like to look at it? And dad said, sure. So we went out. I think I was 11. It was 1975, 76, the, the winter of that year. And we instantly fell in love with Big Sky. And by spring, we owned the resort, which is now Big Sky Resort in Montana. And that's been its own long, long journey getting from uh, where it was then to now, which is uh, another whole chapter. But we've grown. My brother was involved in the company. He had gone out west to work at Big Sky and, and was identifying a couple of resorts out west. And we ended up acquiring Brighton and Utah. The growth of the company throughout each decade has been methodical, but disciplined. And now we're at 12 properties, 10 of which have ski. And we're the third largest ski company in the North America and the longest running, I said, in the world and the largest family-owned four-season ski company, if you will, in the world as well. So we're pretty proud of that and being able to navigate all the issues of weather and generational transitions and capital markets and oil embargoes and all the things that are thrown at you in the ski business. And we've been able to weather them all and we're prospering and we are the best shape we've ever been and excited about the really fun, exciting projects that we've got going across the whole company. Well, it's a great story of success and in a business field that is not for the faint of heart, as you said, Mother Nature throwing curveballs at you and all the rest that you just mentioned. Stephen, one of the amazing things about the Boyne Resort story is that your family's managed to keep this business in the family. You've not sold the company to another company who might have an interest in acquiring it. You've not lost control of the company or turned it over to someone else. So both in terms of ownership and governance, it stayed in the family's control. And now you lead the company. Tell us about your personal background and how you got started in the business and then made your way ultimately to the company's leadership position. Yes, it's a family business. So dad ran every dinner as a board meeting. 
every single dinner he would talk about business. It seemed like that's my recollection. And one of those dinners, I remember when I was 11, we were discussing, or 10, we were discussing, should we buy Telluride or not? And, and should we buy Jackson? And But the Telluride one in particular was an interesting one because I remember we went around the table, everybody talked about pros and cons. And this is at 10 years old, like why to buy it, why not to buy it? And he let us vote on it. And he made us feel empowered in that decision. And that was the kind of like a seed that I go back to in my mind, like, okay, we're part of this and we have a responsibility to make a decision and you got to think about the why behind it. So when we saw Big Sky, that passion for, oh my, we've got to do this drive for all of us was there. And this is us. This is what we do as a family. And we're passionate about the sports and the places. And that passion helps translate to the 12,000 people we have working for us and knowing that we really care about the long-term integrity of, of these places that we're custodians of for this generation and beyond. And we're trying to set this up to be generational. I played a lot of golf in the summertime. I became a college golfer. I played at Northwestern and Michigan State and still compete a fair amount. So golf is in my veins. I've skied my whole life and I snowboard as well. It's, again, who I am as a person. Those experiences are wound into my mindset. But that coupled with the fact that I went to business school and I went to Boston College, got a graduate degree. It was a mom and pop organization, no budgets, you know, nothing was really very organized. And I was young, but I, I knew it had more potential. And, you know, I grew a lot, made a lot of mistakes, but luckily I'm the kind of person that just, I won't stop learning and stop adjusting what I need to do to improve myself. And, and that certainly goes for the rest of the company. So we're on this long journey of self-improvement and, you know, I'm a big Jim Collins disciple and, and, you know, good to great and the things that make a company sustain over the long term. And those principles, you know, permeate everything we do. And that's obviously wound into the, the core passion of the sports we love and the places we do business. Like I said, I've made lots of mistakes, but we're on a trajectory now that I think is sustainable. And I'm really trying to set up it. I'm 58, 59, and I want to make sure in the next decade or so that, I hand it off to the next generation of leaders, not necessarily my family members, but of leaders. This thing will be a great company that will endure because the culture is solid and the people are the best people in our space. And uh, I feel we're making huge strides in that regard, and it's exciting to be able to do that. And you know, I'm hopeful that that's the outcome. I'm confident it will be, but we're certainly focused on making each of these resorts the best they can be, and it's a pleasure doing it. It's got to be a position of both you know, to be the president and CEO of the company that your father started and in effect bears your family name, although not directly, everyone certainly associates the Kircher family with the resort and with the company. It's got to be both pride and pressure at the same time. You must feel that. Tell us about first, you know, how owning and running a company that impacts lives in such a meaningful and positive way, delivering such joy to people. And then at the same time, having to run it, having to deal with those curveballs Mother Nature sends you and all the rest, keeping up with it, running it as a business, not a hobby. How does that feel? I mean, it is a motivator. Fear of failure certainly is one of my psychotic aspects. I'm very competitive. I mean, being a competitive golfer, everything I do is I compete. I can't, you know, I can't walk across the room without racing somebody. So, you know, it, that's a little bit that drives me is the competitive part of the business. But 
you know, I mentioned all the Jim Collins framework. I mean, that is the framework in which at least most of us see the business. And you got to get the right people in the right seats. And it may or may not be family members. You know, we've had to make some tough decisions over the years with different family members. And at some point, I wasn't the right person in certain roles. But, you know, I grew and I knew I needed to grow. And we just got to make sure all of our leaders are growing continuously and we get the right people in in the right positions and it's pressure but it's good pressure because it's motivating especially when it was tough you know there were years when for 25 years we would be out of cash in november and you just hope you open back up and you have a good winter so you can then spend money on something that you want to do we're so far from that now and and we're never going to get there under my watch but that's the ski business we're snow farmers and you know the, if the crops failed you had to make really tough decisions and you didn't spend money on CapEx. You hunkered down and you made it through the next year. Luckily, we had great assets. We have the diversified geographically. So New England may have a bad winter, but the West might have a good one and vice versa. We've invested in snowmaking at a level that really exceeds anybody else in the industry. So we're putting insurance policies in place during these different weather challenges. All those cycles are things we deal with. And it's about making the business more resilient, more sustainable, certainly the environmental aspects of reducing our energy consumption. All those things are at play right now, but it's a a long-term thing. You know, we have not ever paid a dividend and we are all in on reinvesting for the long-term. And that gives us a competitive advantage over maybe our larger competitor in particular who has to pay out significant amounts to shareholders and and has a different perspective. And we're lucky. We've got a great capital structure and we're in a position to really compete on the world stage now too, which is helping attract better people, which makes us a better company, which makes us more profitable. And our revenue growth is supporting more and more cool things. and, And that attracts more customers and more people to what we're doing. And what we call the flywheel, the Jim Collins flywheel, continues to spin faster each year. So we're excited about where we're at and where we're going. And so, Stephen, while your father kind of backed into entrepreneurship, as we discussed earlier, you, on the other hand, are educated when it comes to business and business operations. And you've taken the company to new heights under your leadership as a result of that adherence to more business-like perspectives, principles, and orientation. This is a business first and a passion second. How has the business changed under your watch from your perspective? When dad passed in 2002, his legacy where everything went through him, every decision went through him, you know, there was no budgets. Budgets were forbidden in the company. It was a very mom and pop mindset. There were not accounting controls. There wasn't cash management. It was all running through him. And so we had to kind of unwind that first generation mindset, that typical entrepreneur and realizing we needed to transcend to this next level of company where people had to be accountable in the field for their own decisions and they have to make decisions and be within and know what their reference points are, have to have metrics and they've got to make decisions on where to spend on. If it all went through one person, it breaks down. And that was the realization. So dad was running a real business, but it just got too big for his framework and how he saw it. And certainly he was getting up there in age. He was, you know, 70s, almost 80 at the time, and he had strokes and, you know, just we weren't in a good position. And and myself was young. My brother was a cowboy out west doing whatever he thought was the right thing to do. And it certainly wasn't coordinated in a way that we knew where we're going. So we've gotten ourselves in a position where we have a great team rhythm and the communication across the company is really good. And we know where we're going and what we can to can not do and when we can do it. 
And uh, it is maturing to become a great company. That's kind of the trajectory we're on. In a great position indeed, having a clear direction with a great team moving forward in lockstep. Boeing Resorts is clearly on a roll. Where does all this go? What does the future look like for this great family-owned company? We'll hear from Stephen Kircher about just this when we return after this quick break right here on Business Biography. Welcome back to WJR's Business Biography with your host, Jeff Sloan. Welcome back. Today, we're joined by current president and CEO of Boyne Resorts, telling us the backstory of the proudly owned Kircher family business, giving us a look at where the company's headed under his leadership, and even a look forward about what's ahead for this great Michigan-based company. Stephen, it's always interesting to go back and learn some of the key moves, the key people, and perhaps even the key breaks that ultimately sets a business on a trajectory of success. One of those early keys to your dad's success was that he was fortunate to have connected with a gentleman who became a mentor to your father, a business mentor, and then became a mentor to you as well. Dad had what it took to get through those early 10 years, though. I, I know. I just want to make, I mean, my mindset may not have worked in 1956. That's exactly right. You know, entrepreneurs, more than anything else, are the visionaries who birth these great ideas. They may or may not, in some cases, they're one and the same, but in many cases, most cases, actually, they're not necessarily the best operators of the vision that they have. They're really the guys that, you know, have the vision, bring it out, make it happen in the early going. It's a little messy in the early stages of any startup. But dad's right-hand man, Charles Malt, who's my mentor, I mean, was a good operator. He was the yin and yang with dad. Dad was the visionary coming up with ideas, Mr. Mall gave him the discipline, the financial discipline. So Mr. Mall retired sometime in the mid-90s. So we, we lost him, and we didn't have this kind of checks and balances. And, and then you got me coming up with ideas every 10 minutes with, you know, I mean, just take the Bay Harbor. I mean, I don't know if we can put this on tape, but the Bay Harbor project was a massive undertaking for our company. And it was way over budget to achieve what they wanted us to do at Bay Harbor with the development. We, we spent significantly more than we imagined. And it was a serious drain. And my brother spending a ton of money out West. I mean, you were spending money everywhere in every direction and, and just got over our skis at that point. And people know when the Mountain Grand was launched and ended up not having financing that came through and we had to pause the project for four years. So, you know, we got into challenging situations that we got out of by Discipline thought and discipline action, and really just luckily getting through it and then building the foundation that we have today that we're launching from. And I got to give YPO credit too. I mean, I joined YPO, which was in the mid 90s, and that process of training leaders through YPO was a huge plus too. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I learned and resources that I got were through the YPO network. Let's talk about the future of the company just for a minute. You know, here you are enhancing some of the properties, really optimizing them as we go, going back to the, what you said in the beginning, really taking advantage of all of the natural ingredients and optimizing each one for what they really are, what they have, the clientele, the customer base that they serve. Where, in your mind, does the company go? Is growth through optimizing the current properties or growing the portfolio or both? Or what do you see in the future and what's your leadership vision for the growth of the company? Well, right now we're really focused on organic growth, meaning reinvesting in those resorts that we own and operate today. 
I mentioned that we've got 16 lift projects, for example. The most, I think we have as many as Vail and Altera combined, our two bigger competitors this year. So we're leaning in hard in our core infrastructure, our lift experiences. We've got some of the most spectacular projects going on in North America and maybe generationally. The new tram at Big Sky is, is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be built. Camelot 6 is like nothing else anyone's ever seen in the Midwest. We've got another one of those lifts going in in, in Maine. We've got the first D-line in, in Utah going in, which is going to transform the experience in Utah. The amount of investments in snowmaking to really give us the wherewithal to grind through what will be more challenging winters and invariably probably in the future, stabilizing our business each year. We're investing in updating hotels. We're about to embark on the next transformation at the Highlands with the rest of the hotel being renovated in the next couple of years. We've got additional activities, four season amenities being added to different resorts. Each resort has its own, what we call our 10-year plan, and they're working their plans. And many of them have multitude of investments, be it winter, summer focused, mountain biking. Downhill mountain biking is a huge aspect of what we're doing on the West Coast and East Coast growing those activities in the summer. Mountain coasters and other things are, are being added. We're focused on, again, a, a getting these resorts in their best position, the best they can be. You know, three to five years down the road, would we make acquisitions? Probably. We've done an acquisition. We did one at Shawnee Peak became Pleasant Mountain two years ago. So we're still acquiring where it makes sense strategically. And we would acquire new locations that we're passionate about in the future, but that is not our focus is acquisitions. It's really reinvesting in these communities and these places that we're currently doing business and making sure we don't stretch ourselves out too much and take care of business and, and get the core infrastructure up to date. I mentioned that I'm 59, 58, and I want to make sure in the next five to 10 years that these things are bulletproof, but we will make acquisitions when they make sense, not to the detriment of the current resorts though. And uh, we're just going to work our 10-year plans and keep evolving them and updating them. And I see each of the resorts being in completely different places in five years than they are today and being the best of what they are. Beautiful. One of the jewels of the state of Michigan, Boyne Resorts. Great company delivering a beautiful lifestyle experience for those of us who love the outdoors. Company's in great hands. Stephen Kircher, thank you so much for being with us. Appreciate it. Jeff, thank you. It's a pleasure. A proud Michigan family, a great Michigan success story, one that reaches way beyond the impact that this company has on its owners, one which so meaningfully and joyfully adds to the quality of life for those that enjoy any one or many of the Boyne Resorts properties, whether that be in summer or in winter. Aren't we lucky that Everett Kircher, the founding father of the company, pursued his passion? And aren't we equally lucky to have this great company? in the capable hands of its current leader, Stephen Kircher. Thanks for joining us today on Business Biography. Thanks for listening to Business Biography on the great voice of the Great Lakes, 760 WJR.